All right, guys, what's up? If you don't know me, my name is Nolan, and I'm the planting pastor, founding pastor of the Garden Church. I'm so excited for this Sunday. And before I get into our topic, which is, are we going to do groups? What's the answer? When are we going to do groups? All of that. Uh, Before I get into all that important topic, I just want to say I'm so fired up for Sunday. Uh, A year ago, Lindsay and I posted on Instagram at the beginning of August uh, from a brand new account uh, called Planting the Garden at the time. Now it's the Garden AZ. And we just put it out there to some of our friends. We asked them to follow the Instagram account. And we were like, hey, I think God called us to start a church in the West or in, in, in rather in Phoenix, Arizona. And we didn't even know exactly where in Phoenix. And we we're just like, Hey, will you tag people, you know, from Phoenix and somehow in God's sovereignty, some people were tagged and actually connected. And then over the next year, we end up down here. God has breathed on, uh, the vision of the garden and church and people are gathering around it. And we had preview services of over 500 people. If you've been tracking with the story, you kind of know that this is a total crazy God thing that we have no explanation for. And then uh, we're about to launch this Sunday. And so I'm fired up, man. I want to encourage you, if you are a follower of Jesus, uh, the difference between this being a work of the flesh and our own ingenuity, getting this church started uh, on our own, and this church being a genuine work of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit as we seek the face of God independence is this one key element, prayer. Would you join us uh, by in the next few days, take 15 minutes, an hour, and go do a prayer walk in our city. We are asking people to pray around Paradise Honors High School. If you want to do that, go take a trip over there, pray, gather together with other believers from the garden or just other believers and pray for the West Valley. We're asking God for awakening here. We're asking God to allow a new Jesus movement to unfold, to make mature and multiply disciples of Jesus, a a church centered on the word of God, the way of Jesus and being a compelling witness to the West Valley. So I encourage you, do prayer walk. With that, let's get into our topic. This is gonna be true podcast form. I'm just out here like with my laptop and an outline, okay? I just wanna answer a question that I think a lot of people are asking or wondering as you're getting involved in the garden. Um, So are we doing groups at the garden? Um, I'm gonna kind of quickly answer this. I'm gonna give some theology and then I'm gonna tell you how and when we're doing those groups. So the answer is yes, we are doing groups at the garden, but we're not doing them just yet. We're gonna take a little bit of time to develop those groups properly, okay? So that that's really the answer. Um, so uh, let me break this down into like why we will do groups theologically, and then let me just share why we're going slower than maybe you'd hoped or maybe you would think we're going. Um, the projected timeline will be something like January, okay, or just after January, okay? So, so that's where things are at. Uh, let me tell you why groups really matter, and let me tell you why we're going slow to create them. Okay, here's why they matter. Because uh, Proverbs twenty seven seventeen tells us as much. It says, uh, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. I used to be a knife sharpener at Benchmade Knife Company, which is which have just completely awesome knives. And uh, what, you, what I would do is I would take knives, these really beautifully designed American-made knives, and I would grind the edge of them against a moving belt grinder, okay? 
And part of you looks at the design of this knife, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous to take this knife worth like 800 bucks and to grind it. But that's exactly what you're supposed to do because you need that to have you need that knife to have a beveled edge if that knife is ever going to become as sharp as it's supposed to be. And in the same way, we as followers of Jesus, we are we we have a purpose of glorifying God with our lives, becoming people who look like Jesus. Okay. And if we're ever gonna become more like Jesus, it's not by sitting around by ourselves with no contact at all. But instead, we are supposed to be ground down, to be to brush up against, and to be um, to be uh, in direct contact with contact with other believers. And this verse is saying what that uh, that other believers and you are like two pieces of iron brushing up against one another, doing life together. And as you interact together, you become more like Jesus. So that's why what the Bible calls community or koinonia in the Greek, fellowship, is so vital and important. Uh, The early church knew this well. In fact, the early church is described in Acts 2.42. I love this passage because it's, as I read Acts right now, it's like the most real thing in the world to read the, the birth of the early church and the story of the movement of Jesus and to be part of a Jesus movement here at the garden. It's just unreal. I get so excited. Acts 2.42 says, well, basically, let me catch you up to speed. It's 3,000 people who become followers of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and belief in the truth of Jesus, the gospel that he lived, he died, he rose again, and now Peter's proclaiming it. These people fall on their knees. I mean, they don't actually fall on their knees, but spiritually speaking, they're like ready to surrender. And it says in the text, about 3,000 souls get saved. Verse 42 goes on. What did those many believers do? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is, uh, pausing right there, they start to study the Bible together under the um, leadership and the teaching of the apostles, of the 12 disciples. And then it goes on. And to the fellowship. Hold on right there. We can't move on. They're devoted to the Bible. And to me, that's like makes perfect sense. I'm like, God lived like as a man, died on a cross, like taught us what it looks like to truly be human, gave us the kingdom of God. Like we better learn from him. That just makes sense that we're going to study the Bible. But then it says, in the same breath, not only were they devoted to the scriptures, to the word of God, they were also devoted to the fellowship or koinonia in the Greek, this community of believers doing life together with one another. And it's a commitment. It's not an optional extra. They have to do it. Okay, so this is beautiful. Going on, it says, into the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They, have, they share this common life together. And they were even selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They're helping each other out, just naturally doing life together. And do you need something? Man, we'll help you out, verse 46. And day by day, every single day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, because of this new community, added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. All right, what's going on here? There's a vibrant community. They're doing life together. And not only are does it say 
in verse 46 that they're going to the temple. That's a big group gathering. The temple is large, and I, you can picture a big group of believers getting together. Think church on Sunday. But also, they're getting together, breaking bread in their homes. They're having a meal together. They, hey, come over to my house. And they're getting together in smaller groups of them. So it's, it's gathered on Sunday, and it's scattered throughout the cities in smaller homes throughout the week. Uh, that, that's what I'm envisioning here. Uh, it does say day to day they were in the temple, so maybe they were in bigger gatherings even more frequently than once a week. But either way, we know that there is a regular staple of being in Christian community. All right, check this out. This is why we're gonna do groups. We're gonna do groups sometime around January or just after January because of this picture. But if you're asking, why wouldn't we just do groups right away? Like you may even challenge us and say, hey, biblically speaking, look, they get saved, boom, there's groups. Well, here's two reasons I don't think the text is quite saying that, that we should just, oh, let's slap together some groups, good luck. Uh, hope that these groups are sound and solid. Why we shouldn't do that and why the text, I don't think, demands we do that. One is because it never says here that the apostles were not only teaching, but they were organizing these people into the groups. It never says that. It never says that Peter and John get up there and Peter, you know, and, and uh, Thomas and Bartholomew, they're like, hey guys, let's start these groups. That's not even descripted in the text here, nor is it commanded in the text here. Instead, it's a description of not sort of authorized apostle sanctioned groups that the church kind of hands down from the top down. They're actually describing believers just naturally and organically deciding to invite one another into each other's homes. Do you see this? So on that first point of these are just organic groups, I want to say that that is something that we should take away, that this is something organic, but we should not then say it is something from the top down demanded by the leaders and sanctioned by the leaders. All right, number two thing, uh, I would challenge the idea of immediate groups being required because of Acts 2.42 is because nowhere in the text does it say a timeline. We really don't know how long this took to unfold. There is no clear like, okay, six days later, like we see in some of the gospels and even other places in Acts. All we see here is a description of what happened. We don't know if this happened in 15 minutes, 15 months, or 15 years. And so to assume from this text that there is an urgency in our timeline is to add something to the text. We would be doing what we call eisegesis, meaning I believe something outside of the Bible and I'm, and I'm sort of uh, dropping it into the Bible. I'm forcing it upon the text because it's what I want. And so then I place it on the text and I say, that's what the text says. That's, that's eisegesis and that's incorrect biblical uh, method of interpretation. Instead, we want to ask the text, what is the, we want to ask the Lord, what does the text actually say? And what the text says, this is exegesis, which is a right handling of God's word. Exegesis means to dig into God's word and to pull out from it the real meaning. The text gives us just a description of what the believers were doing organically and in no particular timeline. So, that's why we are biblically speaking taking time to say all right if we have the option to move a little slower let's do this carefully let's take the time to really develop our group leaders and to move towards groups 
that are well-developed. Okay, so uh, let me just dive into this. When will we do groups? Well, I said January, and here's why. It gives us a few months of sort of an on-ramp. We, If you are into what the garden has done so far, I want you to pull up the hood for a second and show you why the garden is what it is. Um, again, earlier I said it's been about a year in the making that we're even launching. So I, I want you to pick up from that. We don't move very quickly in terms of what we do. We move slowly, prayerfully, carefully, responsibly, wisely uh, toward anything we do at the garden. In fact, you may not realize this, but every Thursday night I get together with a group of sharp leaders and I ask them to actually debate the ideas we have for the church. To, to really tear them apart and to challenge them and ask, is this what God's word says? And is this what's wisest? What are we missing? How can we do this thoughtfully? What, what do we need on the whiteboard here? Every single Thursday, I do that. And that is why I think our decisions are getting better and better and more biblical over time. So the ideas uh, of doing uh, the idea of doing a gr groups in the near future, we are already tearing that apart, looking at it, analyzing, it, looking at what these groups should be like. Furthermore, I meet with a council of advisors. Okay, um, we do not yet have an official um, elder board because we haven't even as launched as a church, and we want to see men eldering before we establish them as the official pastor elders of the church. I am the only official pastor elder, but I think it's irresponsible for me to be out on my own without older, wiser, godlier men than me looking over my shoulder and asking hard questions and keeping me accountable in every big move that we're doing. Okay. And so the, there's a team of men who are advising me. Most of them have, uh, are here. That's Ken Pettit. Who's my father-in-law. It's Michael Griffith who moved his whole life and his family to be part of the garden. And it is Mike Tompkins, who is a older, wiser man from uh, back home. And he kind of sits in on zoom for these meetings. And once a month I download on these guys. Furthermore, I have financial coaches, a coach I actually pay to help me make sure we're using the church's money wisely and strategically. This is a guy who uh, is a, he led a really large church in Seattle. He's good friends with some of the pastors here in Arizona. Furthermore, I have coaches who I spend time with every single, uh, actually bi-weekly from Vision Arizona and uh, Bill Bush from Rock Point Church, clear over in East Valley. Uh, Randy, one of his executive pastors, Dave, one of his executive pastors, they look over everything we do. They look at over all our strategies. Um, furthermore, I'm part of Flatirons Church Planting Network. A guy named Jim Candy coaches me about monthly, really sharp guy. Uh, furthermore, we're part of Strategic Launch Network and I get coaching there. It, that's a new thing, but like there's a ton of oversight with this church. And so I just want you to kind of get the picture of like, I don't just snap my fingers and get to do things. We actually have to move through these things slowly. And then we are going to set up an elder board and it will continue to make things careful and it'll make things intentional and it'll make things biblical. You see what I'm saying? So what are we doing with groups right now? What our hope is, is for the next few months to start tapping people. We see the gift of group leadership on uh, that. The Holy Spirit is, we think gifted them this way and to say, Hey, will you come to monthly trainings? And then every month we're going to do a training to align all of our theology to make sure uh, these folks are biblically sound. Number two, to align our philosophy of ministry. What should groups look like philosophically? To align our understanding of discipleship. One of the 
features and biggest passions of this church is discipleship. How are groups part of people's discipleship, which means them becoming more like Jesus, that if you go to this church over the next 10 years and your family goes to the church, you won't be the same in 10 years, but you will look more like Jesus. We want that to be integrated into everything. And so we have real a real intentional plan for groups and how they're going to make disciples, not just be a, a hangout every Tuesday or whatever. And then lastly, we have to train these leaders on logistics. Like what should a group feel like when, what should it smell like when people walk in your house? Should it just smell like anything? You know, like what should the lighting be like? That actually matters. And and not everyone knows that intuitively. Maybe they know the Bible well and they have a great marriage and they're super warm, loving people who can ask great questions and, and meet with people for coffee and have people over. But maybe they don't know like what the vibe should be like when you walk in or whatever. That's okay. And so we want to train people in some of that stuff. You know, should there be music on? Should there not? What kind of music? You know what I mean? Like it actually matters. And then most of all with logistics is the safety of our kids. If you have not picked up on this, we care a lot about kids. Okay. And we care about the next generation. And so we want kids to be safe when they come to these groups. And that requires real training and clarity. Okay. So with all of that said, I hope you see where we're going with this. I hope you're excited about it. And I want to answer this last question. What should I do if I'm interested in groups right now? All right. This is the million dollar question. I'm going to give you three things. Number one, if you're interested in group, you're like, man, okay, fine. I get it. I believe that we should move slowly. Give us a few months. Let us train the leaders. Make sure we're not endorsing heretics or anything like that. But like in the meantime, what should I be doing? Here's three things. And you're going to get all the community you could ever want out of them. In my opinion, number one, seize every Sunday morning sees every Sunday, baby. Okay. Here's why. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, but the average American Christian only goes to church once a month, only once a month, man. Here's what breaks my heart that uh, I'm not dissing on you or trying to, you know, I don't know, shame you. If you're a person who doesn't go every single week to church, I, I won't even be at every single week of the garden. All right. Like there's going to be times where I have to travel or go on vacation or something like that. There could be a few that I miss, but here's the deal. It's a staple in our lives. I'm not trying to shame you with that. I'm, I'm, I want you to understand why, why is it so important that I would be there on a Sunday? Because man, I need my people and you need yours. I need the people of God to minister to me. I need to be challenged and changed. I need to experience the gospel. And if you just attend church every single Sunday, you're already doing better than most of the Christians in America by way of experiencing community. So with that, I would say seizing that Sunday actually looks like staying after service, wrangle your kids a little bit, take them out of the kids ministry, walk back to our front building and spend time with Christians. Just chat them up, spend time in the hall after the 9am and you should go to the 9am because our 11 is full, right? Historically speaking, the 11 is packed, go to the nine. And when you go to the 9am, hang out after the 9am and stay long enough to see people who are checking their kids in at the 11am, walk them over to the building, bring your kids with you, wrangle them. You know, like it's worth the difficulty. It's worth hanging out in the heat or to hang out in the lobby or to help out. But either way, like that is vibrant community. Don't just give people the, hey, I'm doing great. Tell them how you're actually doing and see how they're actually doing after service. Ask someone the question, hey, what is God teaching you as we journey through the scriptures as a church? 
Those are the, here's another thing. I know a bunch of you guys like to bail right away because we have amazing carne asada tacos here in the city. Like you're like, man, church equals carne asada and, you know, frijoles and like glorious, like Mexican food. So go get tacos calafia or go to tacos chilango or go to the food truck or whatever you got go there with another believer see if your family can't sit down with another family and take the extra time i know it could be a little socially exhausting but if you're longing for community that bad seize every sunday all right number two organic relationships here's what's so cool about acts 242 again it just happened naturally Uh, biblically speaking what believers in jesus followers of jesus have in common the most with one uh with other people is their followership of Jesus. You are never more like another human being than both being found in Christ. Do you realize that? I don't care what your background is, what your, you know, gender is, what your age is. I don't, I don't care where, what city you're from. If you meet another follower of Jesus, that person is more like you than anybody with your same last name that anybody with your same story, with from your same city, with your same race, with your same anything, Christ is more central to you than anything in your life if you're a follower of Jesus. Therefore, those who are followers of Christ have more in common with you than any other human being on the face of the planet. Why is that significant? So it should just be natural to go, look, you're gonna click with certain people on Sunday and go, hey, would you get together with me and my wife? We would love to just go bowling together. We would love to hit up fat cats and go, you know, do the putt-putt and goof around together. We would love to go see a movie at Harkins with you guys. We would love to go hit up Top Golf or, or you know, heaven forbid you're a real golfer, then you go to the, you know, Victory at Verado or, you know, the Verado Golf Course. Or, but like get together with people on purpose, like do it organically. And it doesn't require a pastor sanctioning, you know, you to have a group of brothers going through the word together. That's what my small group is right now. I gathered a group of guys and I was just like, I just need more community. And so we started going through the word together. And then we read some parenting books and marriage books like Tim Keller's and, and, and we've just been doing that for months and our wives get together on Saturdays and then we get together as bigger groups with the kids. Like it's just natural for us as believers. Like, man, I need these people in my life. I need accountability. I need transparency. And so just do it naturally. Organic relationship. Lastly, here's the most important. I I mean this when I say it's the most important. You need to serve. Man, you are missing out if you are not serving. You're missing out on the fellowship. You're missing out on getting to know people. You're missing out on deep relationships. Probably some of my deepest relationships right now aren't just in my small group, but they're guys I'm serving alongside. They're men and women that are, you know, husbands and wives that me and Lindsay are serving alongside. They're some of our best friends in the world right now. Why? Well, I think one of the best illustrations for it is my good buddy, Michael Edgman. Love Michael Edgman. I love his whole family. So we were in Bible study this summer. During the summers, we're trying to do men's and women's Bible studies. And uh, we break out into small groups at the end. It's like 100 dudes. And and we had these small groups. And Michael Edgman's in my small group. He's like, you guys, I've never experienced community like this. And we're like, like what? He's like in the back of the trailer at like 6 a.m. in the mornings on Sundays. 
And all these young men are looking at him like, what? This is like an ex-cop, rough, cool kind of guy. And he's like, listen, this is not the guy who talks a lot. He's like, I got something to say to you, boys. He's like, uh there's just something special happening at the garden in the trailer as you unload. There's just something special as you serve alongside people because he helps his wife lead our check-in system, okay? He's like, I've never had conversations this deep with other men. He says, "There's some. we're in the trailer, we're lifting stuff, we're obviously teasing each other who can lift the most, cracking jokes. And then he's like, next thing you know, it's like, you start to get to know another guy's story. And he's like, Dude, that happened to you? And they're and they're carrying stuff into the building. We're talking 6 a.m., 7 a.m. They're sweating a little bit. And then dudes are just stopping like, dude, can I actually pray for you? Thank you so much for sharing that with me. And he's like, dude, this is the kind of fellowship that's happening at the garden. And I'm going, that is so rad. You are missing out if you are not serving. Uh, maybe you're used, a lot of people's story at the garden is I moved here from another city. I was at a really big church over there. This feels like that, but just a little smaller, you know, and by a little smaller, we're talking 500 people were at our last gathering. And yet like people don't have a category who are coming from these larger church or churches in their previous city for what a church plan is like. It takes all hands on deck. And when we serve together, it is one of the most dis- It is one of the ways we are discipled the most. So I want you to serve. I want you to experience the community. I want you to experience that depth. And two places to serve right now are Set Up and Tear Down and Garden Kids. Kids is amazing. It's an amazing crew of people. They're devoted to the next generation. I want you to be part of it. I want you to make friendships. So with that, uh, groups are happening. They're not happening yet. Uh, and if you want to experience it right now, seize every Sunday, organic relationships and serve. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this podcast. I love you. I cannot wait for the grand opening Sunday. Would encourage you do a prayer walk and uh, sign up to serve. Use the show notes, literally click into the show notes and get connected with other people. We'll see you Sunday.